Second Kings chapter 6, we begin in verse 18. We pick up here where we left off last week. Verse 18. And when they came down to him, Elisha prayed unto the Lord and said, Smite this people, I pray thee, with blindness. And he smote them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. And Elisha said unto, unto them, This is not the way, neither is this the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. But he led them to Samaria. And it came to pass when they were coming to Samaria that Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw. And behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. And the king of Israel said unto Elisha, when he saw them, My father, shall I smite them? Shall I smite them? And he answered, Thou shalt not smite them. Wouldest thou smite those whom thou hast taken captive with thy sword and with thy bow? Set bread and water before them, that they may eat and drink and go to their master. And he prepared great provision for them. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away. And they went to their master, so the bands of Syria came no more into the land of Israel. I said this morning that I was going to preach tonight about blessed blindness. And I realized that no doubt seemed like a very strange title for, for a sermon. But I can assure you that if you remember the message last week, well, it makes good sense. Because last week, we, we see how that, the, the, that Elisha prayed for his servant's eyes to be open, so he's praying for sight, and now he's praying that the Syrians might be blinded. That reminds me of a verse that I discovered, well, a long time ago, probably 50 years ago now, in Exodus chapter number 4, and the first time I read it and it really began to sink in, it just floored me. Exodus 4 verse 11 says, speaking of the Lord, and he is speaking to Israel, and he says, who hath made man's mouth? Question mark. Well, we all know that. God is the creator, right? And there's no debate about that. But he goes on and he says, who maketh the dumb or deaf? or the seen, or the blind, have not I the Lord? That reminds us that God is in control, and He wants us to know it. And, and it's sort of like God saying, look, I know that you don't understand why it is that some people you know are deaf, dumb, and blind, why they are afflicted physically, that they have certain problems. I know that you don't understand that. But I've got big shoulders, just put it all on me, because I am the one that has caused all of these things or allowed all of these things. He is in control. Well, here we see a continuation of the story that started back in verse 8 of this same chapter, and there we see that the king of Syria had declared war on Israel and had them surrounded. When Elisha's servant saw the army, he hit the panic button, and he says in verse 15, Alas, my master, how shall we do? It's, you know, kind of another way of saying, what in the world are we going to do now? Man, they've got us surrounded, and what, what, what are we going to do? How are we going to get out of this mess? We're outnumbered. 
And Elisha responded by praying for his eyes to be open. And God gave his servant a peek into the invisible world. And, and, and all of a sudden, he saw things. He saw the invisible, things that he had never seen before. And now we see here that the story takes a turn. This is the turning point. In the first part, we see the servant's eyes being open. Now we see the soldier's eyes being closed. In the first part, we saw a picture of deliverance, and now we see a picture of defeat. And all of this shows us that God has power to either heal or to hurt one or the other. He, he can do whatever needs to be done, I think is the best way to say it. So with all of that in mind, let's examine the story here tonight as we started in verse 18. And here we see the capture taking place. And uh, in the capture, it was a miracle of God's might. I, I mean, the Lord is the one that is directing all of this. He is the one that is closing eyes and opening eyes. And, and it's a reminder to us that we ought to never forget that our success depends on what God can do, not self-effort. So many times, you know, we just think that if we just really try harder, we can do it. And there are times that we can't because only His power can make us victorious. Over in Zechariah, it says, Not by might and not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. So what we do, regardless of the nature of our ministry, whatever it is that we're doing you know, it depends on us being willing, but it takes the power of God for us to succeed in anything we do. And, and remember that this miracle came in answer to prayer. So if we don't pray, what? We lose. We either pray or we lose. It's as simple as that. It's as serious as that. We've got to pray. So here we see the miracle of God's power here. But keep in mind that it came through the matter of, of, of prayer. And then it, we see here in the capture a manifestation of God's mercy. Uh, when their eyes were blinded, and so here they are. Imagine this army out there, and all of a sudden they can't see their hand before their face. And, uh, and, and so Elisha says, just follow me. I'll take you where, where, where you want to go. Now remember, they're looking for him. Remember, their king had sent them out to get him because they thought that they had a traitor in their midst. And somebody said, no, no, no. Uh, we don't have a mole, you know, in the army. It's not somebody that's betraying us, not someone that's giving Israel our secrets. It's that prophet Elisha. He's the one behind all this because God's telling him, you know, what we're going to do. And so he's the man they've been looking for, and now here they stand. They're blind, and somebody comes up and says, you know, well, I can see. Follow me. I'll take you to the man you've been looking for. And, and the amazing thing is here that, that they were captured instead of destroyed. This would have been, you know, a great time to say, you know, they can't see anything. You know, get your swords out. We'll just... And God could have said, go ahead, slaughter them. 
But, or, or he could have left them to themselves, by the way. Think about that. Because then, no, 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 you don't need to even touch them. You don't need to get blood on your sword. You don't need to do anything. They're blind. They're helpless. Just leave them out there to themselves, and no doubt they, they would have perished. Now, God could have done that. But rather, here we see that they were captured instead of destroyed. God's more interested in converting people than he is in punishing people. Sometimes we forget that, you know, we think, well, God is a just God, and indeed he is. But God is also a God of mercy. Amen. We better be thankful for the fact that we don't get what we deserve, but rather grace gives us what we need. And so the Lord is wanting to help them, not hurt them. Same thing's true of you and I. God's wanting to help us. Now, sometimes the help we get might be painful, but keep in mind, it's always worth it. God's not trying to hurt you. He's not trying to make your life worse. He's trying to help you. And if you really think about it, every friend of God is a converted enemy. Everyone. Because before we were saved, we were all the enemies of God. Every one of us. You ever thought about yourself like that? Oh, you say, well, no, I wasn't a Christian, but I wasn't God's enemy. Oh, yeah, you were God's enemy because you were living in rebellion against God. You're a sinner. That makes you the enemy of God. You're in rebellion against His authority and you have so far refused to repent until you repent until you trust him you're living in rebellion i'm so glad that god doesn't just destroy us you know the moment that we realize oh wait a minute i have violated god's righteous standards i'm a vile sinner in the sight of god and god says all right you'll understand then if i just kill you you know or, or i'll just leave you to yourself Instead, God has a way of helping us in our time of need. Now, notice the choice here. They've been captured, but verse 21 speaks about the choice. The king of Israel said unto Elisha when he saw them, My father, shall I smite them? Shall I smite them? So there has to be a choice made here because that seems like the logical thing to do. We've got them right where we want them. They can't hurt us, but we can hurt them. And, and try to imagine how, how the Jews must have, you know, what they must have thought whenever they see the approaching army. Here they see the Syrians coming, and, and, and at this point, you know, they, they don't know what's going on. But they see them coming and somebody says, that's Elisha leading them. Boy, they've got to be really confused about now, right? The enemy army is approaching and Elisha, the man of God, is leading them. And uh, think about what a shock it was to the Syrians, by the way, whenever they discover who they've been following. So now the two armies stand face to face, as you might suspect, and as you would, as you would probably think of doing yourself, the king says, the king of Israel, shall I smite them? Then he repeats the question. In other words, he wants a quick answer. Let's get this over with. Let's get rid of these guys. Let's make life easier. He wants an answer right now. And I think, I think we can learn a lot from that because life is so full of confusing situations, difficult decisions, 
And the sum total of our life has to do with the choices that we make. In other words, the result of our life is the sum total of all of the choices that we've been making. And we best not be hasty. He wants an answer right now. That's why he repeated himself. And a lot of times we're that way. We get hasty. We want something and we want it right now. And it's a whole lot better to just wait on the Lord till we know what God wants us to do, to walk into wisdom, to get the facts. And we better seek God's will whenever we go to making decisions. And the main thing is to take into consideration how it's going to affect the cause of Christ. Because, look, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's all about Him. And there's so many times that people say, well, do you think it would be all right if I did this or if I did right uh, or, or the other? And, and one of those gray areas, in other words. And usually whenever we come up against something like that, you know, uh, if you doubt, don't. If you doubt, don't. I, I mean, if you've got a question mark about it, just, just don't do it. But the key factor is, will this bring glory to God? How is this going to affect the cause of Christ? That's why I so often say that sometimes sinless things can become sinful. Things that ordinarily, you know, is fine and dandy, not a problem in the world with it. And yet we allow ourselves to get so involved in it that this sinless thing becomes a sin because it's a detriment to the cause of Christ and the mission that he has for us. So now... They have to make a choice. Now, notice the command in verse number 22. This is not a suggestion, but a command. He answered. This is Elisha answering, Thou shalt not smite them. Wouldest thou smite those whom thou hast taken captive with thy sword and with thy bow? Notice, set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. Now, I've got to say, this sounds contrary to natural reasoning. These are two opposing armies, and here he is saying, don't smite them, don't, don't hurt them in any way. In fact, I, I want you to go beyond that, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. But notice here, it's contrary to natural reasoning, it's contrary to human nature, because most of the times, you know, that's what we want to do. We want, we want to get... We want to get even. We want to get back at them. After all, you know, and we try to justify it by saying they're out to destroy us, so let's get them before they get us. But the fact here is that this commands in agreement with God's Word. For example, over in, turn over to Matthew chapter 5 for just a moment here because we often talk about how greatly we need God's help in living the Christian life and boy, I mean, this really puts that in context. He says, verse 43, You have heard that it has been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, and do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. Now, that doesn't mean that we become his children, but re that rather that we'll be recognized as his children. For he, notice, that is God, maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward? have ye well to really think about that 
Because we can talk about, oh, how much we love people. And we're talking about our family and talking about our friends. But he's talking about our enemies. Notice, if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans the same. And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so, but be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Let me read from Romans now, chapter number 12. And here we see another bit of instruction related to this. I said that the command given to spare those people was in keeping with God's word. And here we see, he says, verse 17, Romans 12, recompense no man evil for evil, provide things honest in the sight of all men. For if, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, notice, but overcome evil with good. Have you ever thought about good being a weapon? It actually is. Good is a weapon that we use against our enemies, not to do them harm, but rather to help them. And, and that, that, ought to be, that ought to be the area of our greatest concern. As I said, God's not in the business of wanting to destroy people. He's not willing that any should perish. God wants to help you, not hurt you. And we ought to feel the same toward those that despitefully use us, those that hinder us, those that hurt us in whatever way. And we have a responsibility to notice to overcome the evil with good. And i got to tell you, that takes great faith and courage, especially whenever you think about the situation of those two armies there, the Syrians and the Israelites standing there opposing each other, and, uh, and, and, and the faith that it would take when Elisha says to them, no, don't destroy them, get them some bread, get them some water, and then they made great provisions, it says in verse number 20, verse number 23, for them, so I, I don't know. Maybe they kill the fatted calf or whatever. But boy, the, you know they they put out the feast, and uh, and that takes courage. That we're going to feed our enemies. We're going to strengthen our enemies. We're going to let them go, and and, and we're risking our life in doing that. But we never risk anything whenever we obey the Lord, and and here faith enabled them to overcome that fear. God had commanded them, this is what I want you to do. And they wisely said, all right, that's what we'll do. And there in verse 23, we see a picture of compassion here because they were fed. They were fed instead of deprived. Feed your enemies, the Lord said. He is good to the just and to the unjust. I'm so glad that's true. I mean, God would be perfectly within his right to just destroy all of us. But God's good to the just and the unjust. He sends the rain upon, you know, the good and the bad and so forth. So they were fed. But more than that, they were freed. They were freed. Now, keep in mind the prophet's purpose. What, what's behind all of this? What is he trying to accomplish? What, what is his goal? What is he doing? Well, back in verse 8. 
Here's what he wanted to, to confirm, that there is a prophet in Israel. He wanted the Syrians and, and the Israelites to understand there is a prophet in Israel. He wanted them to understand that God is the one that is running the show, that God is our first and our top priority, regardless of our circumstances, regardless of what we're going through. It's always our main goal in life to glorify Him. Whether you eat or you drink, whatsoever things you do, do all to the glory of God. That is the main thing in everything we do. Whether it's preaching a sermon, singing a song, giving a dollar, whatever we do, where we go, uh, and the people we associate with, it's for the purpose of bringing glory and honor to Him. And Elisha wants them to discover and realize that there is a prophet in Israel. Keep in mind that the Syrians and the other heathen people, they had uh, uh, multiple gods. You know, they, they believed uh, this was a god and that was a god and just about everything else was a god. And the Israelites come along and said, no, no, there's only one true and living God and He is our God. That's what they needed to discover. And that's what's going on here, that God might reveal Himself to those people. Listen, when we fail to love our enemies, what we do actually is to enslave them and make reconciliation impossible. When you get home, read the last part of Matthew chapter number 28. Start about verse 20 or 21. Read through that chapter, and it deals with this very issue. Whenever we mistreat people, whenever we fail to love people, I'm talking about people that, that have hurt you, people that have mistreated you. It's our responsibility to seek reconciliation with them, not to, you know, not for the purpose of trying to get even and not to widen the gap, but to bring people together. And, and, and unless we treat them as the Word of God commands us, we don't have a chance of helping them. You know, you, every person here can think of someone that you know that's just as ornery as a rattlesnake. I mean, you can't get along with them. They're not happy with anything. They're against everything, and they're just problematic in every area of life. And, and, and you, you know, you just kind of you don't want anything to do with a person like that. And the reality, reality of it is you've got exactly what they need, but they just don't know it. And it's your job to show them that your God is what they need. Well, look at the consequences of it here. It says, so the bands of Syria came no more into the land of Israel. Now, I don't think that means for a moment that they forever gain the respect of the heathen. Because, you know, we can look at history and see that there were other problems that arose, but the, the idea is that there was a season of peace. And that's something they would have never had if they had retaliated. If they would have said, you know, look, you came here to get us, and so we're going to get you. We're going to put a hurt on you. We're going to destroy you if we can. Had they retaliated that breach there would have remained and even widened forever. And, and so reconciliation became possible to where there was peace. Remember what we read in Romans chapter 12? So much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. And yet there are those that live in a constant state of turmoil 
all because of a vengeful spirit. You know, somebody did them wrong, and there's no doubt about that. They were mistreated, and they spend the rest of their life holding people at arm's length. They spend the rest of their life in some way trying to get back at that person, and it affects how they interact with everybody else. You find somebody that's bitter against one person, I'll guarantee you they'll take it out on every other person that reminds them of that person. That's just the way it is. Because of the right choice, there was a season of peace. Look, you know, we read back in history and we think about that and you know, kind of shrug our shoulders like it's no big deal. Let me tell you, it was a big deal to those who had children and grandchildren to realize that they're going to be safe now because of the decision that we made to not retaliate, but rather to feed our enemies. You see, it always pays to do things God's way. We don't always understand it. Sometimes, as I said earlier, it seems contrary to, uh, to human reasoning. It seems it's contrary to our human nature. It's not what we normally want to do. But when God tells us to do something and we do it, we always come out better off for it. I can't help but imagine here the questions that that, you know, they must have been asked when they returned home. Think about these Syrians now going back home. And uh, remember, they've got to give an account to their king and their people, and everybody is inquiring, how did it go? You know, did you slaughter all of those Israelites? Did you find Elisha? Did, did you bring him back in chains? And so they've got all of these questions, and... Uh, uh, and boy, to hear the story, it's, well, we were headed that way, you know, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, somebody prayed against us for us to be blind, and we couldn't see a thing, and somebody showed up and said, follow me, I'll take you where you want to go, and we followed him, and we were standing face to face with the Israelites, we were in a helpless situation, they could have killed us in a heartbeat, and instead, they said, free pizza for everybody, you know. <laughs> Go back and tell a story like that. I mean, look, this is an experience that they absolutely would never forget. And it's an experience that they would never be able to explain apart from God. That's what God was working to do. He wants to put them in a situation that when they go back, that they have no logical answer, no explanation except to say it's a God thing, you know, the God of the Israelites. So let me sum it all up and, 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 and think about the valuable lesson that we learn that as Christians, so many times, in fact, I guess I could say every day of our life, we face situations that are beyond our reserves. In other words, we come to the end of ourself. All of our strength is gone. All of our patience is gone. We've exhausted our love and willingness to forgive. We just come to the end of our reserves. But let me tell you, God, God never comes to the end of His resources. 
And we have to live every day of our life realizing that. That is like when Paul said, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. That doesn't even make sense, does it? Except when you bring God in the picture, you see. When I'm weak, I'm strong. Why? Because I'm not depending on me. I'm depending on God. And so because of that, listen, we ought to be willing as Christians to attempt the impossible. You say, well, what do you want me to do? And a fellow up in Cincinnati several years ago that really thought God wanted him to walk on water, so he went down the Ohio River and drowned. He tried to walk on water. He thought that's what God wanted him to do. Uh, you know, I don't know that God wants anybody to walk on water. I don't think we ought to tempt God by going out here and trying something that is impossible. Well, let me tell you, just obeying the Lord will confront you with impossible situations. The thing, think about whenever the Lord says, I want you to, you know, preach the gospel in the whole world. Are you kidding me? That's impossible. It's humanly impossible, you see. And, and especially whenever he's talking about those early disciples, they don't, they don't have the world wide web. They don't have TV. They don't have sound systems, printing presses, none of that. And he says, okay, I want you to preach the gospel in the whole world. Make disciples of all nations. That's impossible. And even as a church today, there, there are times that, you know, that God will present us with some challenge that, that humanly speaking is impossible. And we think, you know, well, we just don't have enough reserves to do that. But that doesn't make any difference because God's resources are available. Attempt the impossible, endure any difficulty. A lot of times we get in some great difficulty, everything has gone wrong, and the first thing we want to do is give up. And, and we feel so justified in that. We might even say to somebody else, well, if you knew what I was going through, you would understand why I quit. You'd understand why I resigned the ministry if you knew what I was going through. It doesn't make any difference what you're going through. We're never justified in quitting on God. And we ought to be willing to endure any difficulty and resist any temptation that comes our way. We can't do that on our own. There are certain temptations, you know, that's no big deal to you. You can resist them. Because of the fact that, you know, it might be that you've never been addicted to alcohol or to drugs or whatever else it might be. But there is some besetting sin that would get all of us. And we need, through our dependency upon the Lord, to resist any temptation. We ought to be willing to accept the inevitable. There are going to be things happen in life. You're going to lose loved ones. I know you don't want to hear that, but your loved ones are going to die. I mean, you might die before they do, but someday mom and dad's going to be dead. Someday some of your children might die. And there are just things that are inevitable. It's going to happen. And we need to understand that God is in control and we need to be willing to accept the inevitable and forgive what we think is the unacceptable. You know, that others have, you know, mistreated us. And we've got to be willing to forgive, to love the unlovely. There was nothing that I know of about the Syrians that was worthy of love and respect and support. And yet God tells the Israelites, I want you to feed them, give them food, give them water, and what? And let them go back to their master. 
do good, overcome their evil with good. So to just put it all in one one brief sentence, it's this. We have every reason to be confident regardless of the consequences and regardless of the circumstances. So whatever it is that we're going through, we can be confident because the same God that opened the eyes of Jehazi and enabled him to see the invisible, the same God that shut the eyes of the Syrians, that same God is at work in our lives. And he'll, he'll do things and allow things that we don't understand, but we can be confident as the, as the verse says, he doth all things well. He doesn't make any mistakes. So hang on to that every day this week, every day of your life. That God is in control, and as long as we follow Him and obey Him, God's going to take care of whatever our needs might be. Thank you for being here. I'm going to just cut it off right there. And we're going to pick up next week. Uh, I, I, you know, going through this, this series here, you, it, you, you don't know how many details to get involved in. But we'll pick up in about verse 24 next week where we're leaving off and go on. And uh, Lord, Lord willing, we'll have four or five more messages in this.